Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek myths and traditions. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. But be warned, this episode features dramatizations of murder, gore, and animal cruelty. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Medea sat at the stern of the Argo. She let her fingers trail in the water of the Black Sea as the Argonauts rode, softly humming a funeral rite of her people. She'd spent their entire voyage doing this and would continue until they landed. She was praying for her father and brother's souls as they made their passage to the underworld. And as she did, she wept. Though Medea had a duty to mourn her kin, she didn't feel it was her right to, for their blood was on her hands. She had betrayed her country, the only home she'd ever known, and led her father and brother to their deaths. She had done it all for love and a piece of wool. Medea looked at Jason. He stood at the bow of the ship with his prized golden fleece, the one Medea had killed for, draped over his shoulders. We're close now, love. I can see the cliffs of Iea. I know. I knew it when the waters turned cerulean and the breeze smelled of myrrh. My aunt's priestesses are burning offerings. She's expecting us. How do you know? Because she's there. Medea pointed to the distant cliffs. And there, standing on the rocky shore just as she said, was Circe, demigoddess, enchantress, and Medea's favorite aunt. For the first time since seeing her brother be torn to pieces and her father's ship be dragged into the sea, Medea smiled. Circe would know what to do. She always knew what to do. Her aunt would help them earn the gods' forgiveness, and then Medea and Jason could finally be married. As soon as the Argo's hull hit the sand, Medea leapt from the boat and ran into her aunt's arms. But Circe's body was stiff. Her voice dripped with malice. Oh, Medea, you poor foolish girl. What have you done? Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. In today's episode, we're telling the story of Medea, an enchantress and wife of the Greek hero Jason. This week, we'll discuss the events after Jason and Medea returned from their voyage on the Argo, an epic adventure where the hero faced all manner of monsters and magic in his journey to secure the legendary Golden Fleece. Then, next week, we'll explore the tragedy that rips them apart and defines Medea's legend. 
But first, some background on Greek mythology's darkest sorceress. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There is perhaps no figure in Greco-Roman myths more complicated than Medea. She's a foreign princess from a far-off land, a sorceress of mysterious power and divine blood, arguably one of the most dangerous women of the Greek pantheon, the granddaughter of the sun god Helios and niece of Circe, stories of Medea appear as early as the 8th century BCE. Notable scholars, poets, and playwrights from Herodotus to Ovid have all written about the dark enchantress. But the best-known depiction of Medea comes from Apollonius Rhodios' epic, the Argonautica. The Argonautica recounts the voyage of the hero Jason as he sails to the far ends of the world to retrieve the Golden Fleece. There, in the exotic country of Colchis, he meets and falls in love with Medea, the daughter of a brutal king. Jason and Medea's story is a legendary romance. It has magic, adventure, forbidden love, and tragic sacrifice. But the sacrifice in this case is one-sided. While Jason gains glory, the Golden Fleece, and a wife, Medea gives up everything she knows and cares about for love. And that's just the beginning. It's what happens after they retrieve the Golden Fleece that defines Medea's legacy. One of the greatest love stories of Greek myth unravels into one of its darkest tragedies, and Medea into one of its most fascinating anti-heroes. We begin, however, with an oft-forgotten piece of her story after the Fleece, but before her romance sours. Before she was a notorious bad girl of Greek legend, Medea was a young woman far from home, madly in love, and tragically out of her depth. Circe sat on a throne of marble at the center of a decaying palace. Its decaying pillars were choked with vines, as if the jungle was slowly swallowing it whole. The roof, long collapsed, opened to a canopy of trees teeming with birds. But though the nature around them was vibrant and joyful, its mistress was anything but. Circe stared at Medea and the Argonauts, her golden eyes cold and expectant. The panther laying at her bare feet growled. It's been a long time since mortals dared set foot on my island. When they do come, it's because they want something. A potion, a prophecy, their enemy turned into an oyster. But that's not what you seek. For Medea is capable of all of this. So tell me, why have you brought a pack of filthy pirates to my realm? Jason shot his fiancée a bewildered look. 
Before Medea could reply, he stepped forward to address her aunt. We are no pirates. I am Jason, son of Ison, and rightful king of Iolcus. These are the Argonauts. We're honored to meet you, Cersei. Medea has said such- I was speaking to my niece. Medea, what do you have to say for yourself? A pit formed in Medea's stomach. She could not attempt to deceive Cersei, neither would she want to. She knew she had to explain how she'd betrayed her people, but the words felt like stones in her throat. She felt Jason's hand grip hers, and she took a trembling breath. I'm afraid I've come with sad news. My father, your brother Aetes, and my brother, Absutus, are dead, murdered. And their killers? Where are they now? Standing before you. Their blood is on our hands, but most regretfully on mine. I know. I saw it in the flames of my offerings, but I wanted to hear you say it. Tears flooded Medea's eyes. She braced herself for her aunt's wrath, a torrent of fury and curses. Perhaps Cersei would order her panther to rip them apart, or maybe she'd turn Medea into some kind of beast, her favorite punishment. Medea hoped Cersei would transform her into a bird. She'd always loved swallows. But no incantations left her aunt's lips. Cersei rose from her throne and walked to her. She took Medea's face in her cool hands and gazed down at her with golden eyes. My dear girl, come, let us make it right. Circe took Medea into a chamber filled with vats of simmering tonics, the air hazy and sweet from burning incense. The place was familiar to Medea. She'd spent many days there as a girl, learning from her aunt, memorizing incantations and mixing potions. She sat as Circe busied herself among her scrolls and bottles. The many bracelets on her arms jingled as she added herbs and vials to a pot. What are you concocting? A tincture for absolution? Oh, you'll need more than a tincture to absolve you of your crimes. No, this is something much better. Circe threw a pinch of powder into the pot and the liquid burst into purple flames. She blew out the fire and poured the potion into a goblet, handing it to Medea. What is it? Mandrake root, balsam, but mostly wine. Drink up, you'll need it. <coughs> Good girl. Now tell me, how did you meet this Jason? He and his men came to Colchis seeking the Golden Fleece. You're telling me they traveled to the ends of the earth for a shiny blanket? Well, it's a long story, and a sad one. Jason was a prince, the true heir to Iolcus, but his family was slaughtered by his uncle, Peleus. Peleus took the throne, but promised Jason that if he fetched the fleece, he'd make him king. So he did. <sighs> a fool's errand, if I'd ever heard one. Obviously, the boy was too thick to realize it. 
Now, tell me this, Medea. How did an overconfident, simple-minded non-prince manage to secure the Golden Fleece? Hmm? I... I may have helped a little. That's what I thought. I had to, Cersei. My father was going to kill him. Aetes has slain plenty of men before. Why take an interest in this one? He is the most beautiful man I've ever seen. But more importantly, he's different. In Colchis, I lived my entire life bound by ritual. My father, my brother, our priests, they clung to tradition even as their people suffered. It made my father cruel, and my brother was following that same path. I was a slave to their decisions. I didn't realize there was another way until Jason came to our shores. He was a stranger who had seen the world. He lived his life not as others dictated, but as he wished to live it. He was defiant, but also kind and honorable. When he arrived in Colchis, he announced that he hoped to take the Golden Fleece peacefully. I had never seen that kind of earnest optimism before. But of course, Aetes would never let a foreigner leave with one of our kingdom's most sacred objects. I made a decision. I would not let this beautiful, free man be murdered by my father's ignorance. So when he tasked Jason with yoking his fire-breathing oxen and fighting his army of Sparty warriors, I had to do something. They were impossible challenges no mortal man could survive. <laughs> but child's play for a witch, of course. What were your methods? I concocted an ointment to protect Jason from the fire-breathing oxen. As for the Sparty, I gave him a way to trick the brainless warriors into turning on each other. Jason succeeded in both challenges. Father was furious. That night, he ordered Jason's death. And I could not bear to see him die. I led Jason to the sacred grove of Ares and lulled the never-sleeping serpent into a deep slumber. But as soon as I handed him the Golden Fleece, I knew that I could never return to Colchis again. Jason offered me an escape on the Argo and asked for my hand, to be his queen. He offered me a real future, a life not subjected to tradition. You know I could have given you the same, Medea. Infatuation can be blinding. This bliss you feel won't last forever. <laughs> Love is hardly bliss when it's tinged with blood. The day we fled Colchis was when I committed my greatest betrayal. Once my brother Obsirtus discovered me fleeing, Jason was forced to slay him. When my father finally sent his ships after the Argo, they sank right into the mouth of the sea monster, Charybdis. Their deaths pained me more than anything, but I can't help but believe they brought it on themselves. They were so narrow-minded, they didn't see their own downfall waiting just ahead of them. My only regret is that I was the one to lead them there. For that, I will never forgive myself. Medea's eyes fell to the goblet in her hand, unable to meet Circe's gaze. Medea, 
I understand you feel burdened by Eetes and Absirtu's deaths, but it serves my brother right for chasing after a glorified hide. And as for Absirtu's, I was never fond of the boy. What I find most upsetting is that you have decided to squander your potential on some mortal. You don't know Jason Cersei. He is a true king. He simply wants to reclaim his home and birthright. So you gave up yours? You are the granddaughter of Helios, Medea. Magic flows through your veins. Have I not taught you anything? Men are dogs. Actual dogs. You see those hounds outside? Fighting over scraps? Every one of those snarling mongrels were lovers foolish enough to betray me. When are you going to realize that you are meant for more? You could be a great sorceress, mistress of your own realm, like me. I'm meant to be with Jason. I don't want to live alone on an island surrounded by beasts. <sighs> I've known for years this day would come. I've trained you and educated you in the hopes of changing your fate. But alas, I couldn't change you, my sweet, stubborn Medea. But I must warn you, you're headed for a cage. You do not belong in Jason's world. You'll be exiled from every home you settle in. You'll be feared and pitied by those around you, but never accepted. You'll try to change yourself to please him. But you cannot be reshaped, Medea. And when you realize this, it will not end well. What will happen? What have you seen? It is not for me to say. But what you do to Jason will be much worse than turning him into an animal. Cersei scratched the chin of her panther. The beast purred. <laughs> I will give you the penance you seek. And as long as you practice magic, I'll be there to offer my guidance. But if you leave my island as Jason's bride, there is no turning back. Coming up, Medea makes her decision. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. Medea left Circe's chamber with her aunt's prophecy still ringing in her ears. She would be exiled, never accepted as she was, but worst of all, she would do something terrible to Jason. Circe had told her of this for a reason. Now she had a choice. She could stay on the island and never see her love again, or she could marry Jason as they had planned, continue on to Iolcus as his wife, and risk whatever tragedy fate had in store. 
Medea spent that afternoon sitting on the edge of a turquoise pool, somewhere in the depths of the island's jungle. There she sat, absentmindedly waving her fingers, changing the colors of the fish swimming below. She wondered how many of them were Circe's victims, mortal men and women now doomed to swim in the same water for the rest of their days. If she stayed on the island, she'd be just the same, trapped. With a lazy flick of her wrist, she turned a ruby-colored trout into a bird. Medea watched it fly away and sighed. I hope that wasn't one of my men. I know Idas is a pain, but he can't row an oar with wings now, can he? Medea turned to see Jason standing at the edge of the clearing, grinning. Here I thought I could hide from the great Jason of the Argo. <laughs> what a fool I am. Well, I did find you on the other side of the world. There is nowhere I won't go for love. Though this jungle certainly tested my limits. I just spent the last hour being chased by a parrot squawking, help me. I find this island uniquely unsettling. No offense. None taken. Circe doesn't have many regular visitors for a reason. I don't think she likes me very much. Don't take it personally. She isn't very fond of mortal men or, well, any men. So I've gathered. I'm grateful she's deigned to give us penance before we marry. That's the greatest wedding gift we could have asked for. But you still seem troubled. What else did she tell you? Oh, nothing. Just a vision she had. Was it of you and I sitting on thrones in Iolcus with a bunch of little rascals running around at our feet? No, not exactly. Oh, it was bad, wasn't it? What did she tell you? That we'll be exiles, and I don't belong with you, and that you would change me, and I will hurt you in some terrible, horrible way. When Medea looked at Jason, she instantly regretted her words. He sat there, looking at her in shock. Then he burst out laughing. <laughs> Medea, it's so obvious. You said it yourself. Your aunt hates me. She hates all men. She's conjured up this false premonition to keep us from being together. Circe would never lie to me about her visions. I know she was telling the truth. What did she say you were going to do to me then? Turn me into an animal? I always thought I'd make an excellent lion. I've already got the golden mane, and I am quite virile. I think you'd agree. This is serious, Jason, and no, it was something much worse than that. Oh, a more lowly creature then? Some kind of rodent or insect? That's not what I meant. Whatever it is, I'll endure it. Even if you transform me into a fly, I would be content so long as I could buzz near your beautiful ears. But I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to change either. You are my queen, Medea. I'd rather have my liver eaten by eagles like Prometheus than change you. Medea searched Jason's eyes and saw that it was true. She smiled. Just promise me you'll survive our wedding night first. Medea and Jason were married that very night. The ceremony was held in a cave by the sea. There were no guests but the crew of Argonauts and no music but the crashing of the waves. 
Afterward, they spread the golden fleece over their wedding bed, and at dawn, they boarded the Argo, bound for Ialcas. As Medea stood at the ship's stern, watching the island shrink in the distance, she saw a figure standing on its cliffs, illuminated by the rising sun, Circe. In spite of the distance, Medea heard her aunt's voice whisper in her ear. Remember, as long as you have magic, I'm never far away. For a fortnight, Medea, Jason, and the Argonauts traveled across the Ionian and Aegean seas. Each day, Jason told Medea about Ialcas and about his plans as king, the peace they would bring to his people after years of tyranny. And each night, Medea fell asleep in Jason's arms between the open sea and the starry sky. When she noticed a fluttering in her belly, she knew, as only a sorceress would, that she was pregnant. And soon her dreams were filled with visions of her future child and the happy life their family would lead. But when at last the Argo reached Ialcas, she realized just how foolish those dreams were. King Peleus's throne room was nothing like Medea had seen. Marble pillars reached soaring ceilings, and stone carvings leafed with gold gleamed in the flicker of torchlight. At the end of the room sat King Peleus on his throne. Jason, my boy, when my soldiers said you had arrived with the Golden Fleece, I was sure they had seen a specter. The only men who returned from Colchis sailed back on the River Styx. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Uncle. There's still hope yet. Now, show me the fleece. I must see it for myself. Very well. My gods. It really is just shiny wool, isn't it? Tell me, how did you manage to fetch it? That must have taken some... bravery. Well, in fact, it did. Medea listened as Jason recounted his epic voyage to the king. He told him about the Amazon women of Aretias and the harpies in Thrace. But as Jason told Peleus of his arrival to Colchis, Medea was surprised to hear that her husband's story had changed. This version did not include her. King Eetes didn't think I could yoke his fire-breathing oxen or defeat his ruthless Sparty, but I did. I dodged the beast's flames and outwitted the warriors. And when Eetes refused to give up the fleece, I simply got it myself. Medea looked at her husband, shocked and a little hurt. She had never expected glory for what she did, but she didn't expect he'd erase her involvement either. Medea looked to see Peleus's reaction, the king raised a skeptical eyebrow. You just got it yourself? Well, yes. You're telling me you walked into Ares Grove alone, tiptoed past the sleepless serpent, grabbed the golden fleece and walked out? Yes, well, no. You see, I gave the serpent some sleeping herbs. Hmm, pray tell. When did you become well-versed in alchemy, Jason? Was it between the Amazons and the Harpies? No. 
something tells me you are not the one concocting narcotics potions. King Peleus' eyes scanned the dim throne room until they landed on Medea, standing behind Jason and the palace guards. You there! Come closer and let me get a look at you. What is your name? That is my wife, Medea. I was not speaking to you. What is your name, girl? I am Medea, wife of Jason, princess of Colchis. Aha! The plot thickens. It seems no mere coincidence, Jason, that you defeated all of King Aedes' tasks and married his daughter. No doubt this woman helped you in some way. And if I'm not mistaken, magic runs in the female line. I have to say, Jason, your accomplishments are far less impressive knowing you've been aided by a barbarian witch. Barbarian? You murder your own people by the thousands and I am a barbarian? Medea, enough. Medea looked at Jason, her eyes pure fire, but he ignored her, turning to Peleus. Regardless of my methods, I have delivered the fleece to you. I have kept my promise. Now, Peleus, it's time to keep yours. Step down from the throne. <laughs> oh, Jason, your naivete is as comical as it is refreshing. I have no intention of giving you my throne. I never did. What? You made a promise, Peleus. Yes, and let this be a lesson to you that a king is not obligated to maintain his promises. I may be an old man, but I'll be sitting on this throne until I die. And even then, you might find it difficult to rule from a dungeon. Guards! Guards! Peleus' soldiers seized Medea and Jason. Medea's mind raced. She had to do something. She didn't leave Colchis to spend her days in a cell. She thought of the child she was carrying. Then she had an idea. Rebirth. Peleus, what if there was a way for you to rule for generations? I can help you. Fascinating. And why would you do that? In exchange for our freedom. I am a barbarian witch, as you say. I know of a way to make you young again. I'm listening. I know an ancient ritual, sacred to my people, which can restore youth to the elderly. It's used only by the highest priestesses of Hecate. In exchange for our freedom, I will enact it for you. All I need is a ram and a dagger. Coming up, Medea puts her magic to use. Now back to the story. Medea watched her husband Jason pace the prison cell like a madman. After a treacherous voyage across the globe, he had finally brought the golden fleece back to his uncle, King Peleus. But instead of stepping down as promised, Peleus had thrown the newlyweds in his dungeon. To Jason, it was an utter disaster. Little did he know his sorceress wife had a plan up her sleeve. What an utter fool I was. 
Here I thought I'd prance into Ialcus with the fleece, and Peleus would kiss my hand and crown me king. I've squandered my birthright, my destiny. The only subjects I'll rule are a kingdom of rats. Jason flung a rock at a group of rats in the corner. Medea frowned. She realized she'd never seen Jason angry, and she didn't like what she saw. But before she could say a word, there was a rapping at their cell door. A tall, dark-haired figure with sickly pale skin was grinning at them through the bars. It was King Peleus's son, Prince Acastus. Ah, Jason, cousin. I thought I heard your miserable voice echoing down the corridor. How long has it been? One year, three? Twenty-three, if we're speaking of when your father slaughtered my family. Ah, yes. Welcome home. Though I suspect you didn't anticipate returning to Ialcus as a prisoner. No. As you're aware, I plan on returning as king. <laughs> Ambitious, considering the state of things. Pity you'll never sit on the throne. I guess that makes two of us. Acastus's eyes narrowed. Jason had hit on a particularly sore spot. Though Acastus was next in line for the crown, it was known throughout Ialcus that Peleus didn't believe he was fit to rule. Acastus was a depraved man who delighted in torturing his prisoners, and Peleus looked down on his son's cruel amusements. Acastus spotted Medea standing at the back of the cell and grinned. Who might this be? Jason, I hadn't heard you had a woman with you, and such an enchanting one at that. Won't you introduce me? That won't be necessary. My name is Medea. I'm Jason's wife. A pleasure, Medea. I look forward to torturing you both. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have prisoners to flay. That vile snake. I should have never brought us here. You're being hard on yourself. I have a solution. <laughs> you really believe Peleus will give us our freedom? Making him young again will only ensure he lives long enough to keep us locked away. I have no intention of giving that man his youth back. Then why did you... What are you going to do with the ram? And the dagger? Wouldn't you like to know? Medea, what's wrong? Did I do something to upset you? Why didn't you tell Peleus that I helped you get the fleece? I, uh, I don't know. I just got caught up in the story. You're lying. What is it? Do you want all the glory for yourself? Of course not. Then what is it? I was protecting you. From what? From the Greeks. They, they're not kind to outsiders, Medea. Especially ones from the other end of the Black Sea. You heard Peleus. They think your people are barbarians and witches. And you tell me now? After you bring me here to be their queen? I... I know. I should have said something long before. But they will come to love you. It just takes time. People are afraid of what they don't understand. And fear can make us do horrible things. I didn't want you to be hurt if I could help it. Are you ashamed of me? I could never be ashamed of you. But I must admit it, I am a little afraid of you. Well, you better find your courage. 
because soon you'll be outnumbered. Jason looked at her confused. Medea simply placed his hand on her stomach. I... I'm going to be a father? And a king. Now, let me tell you what I'm going to do with that ram. I'm going to use it as a demonstration. I'll slaughter the animal in front of Peleus, cut it into pieces, then boil it. You? Why? I'm not finished. Eventually, a lamb will emerge from the pot, and Peleus will see with his own eyes that I'm capable of restoring youth. Then, he'll let us do the same to him. Only once we cut Peleus to pieces, we won't be reviving him. You clever little barbarian. Watch your tongue, hero. There's still one thing I haven't figured out. I don't think that your Greeks will exactly be clamoring to put a murderer on the throne after Peleus is dead. So we need someone else to do the dirty work. I have the man in mind. Ah, Acastus. Just who I wanted to see. Hello, cousin. Eager to be tortured, are you? What'll it be? The rack? The wheel? Crucifixion? I wouldn't mind flogging your pretty little wife. I have some news I feel may be of interest to you. Your father will be having his youth restored to him soon, via an enchantment. Just think, he'll have many more years ruling Iolcus. Decades, even. Perhaps he'll even outlive you. <laughs> what are you talking about? What is this enchantment you speak of? My wife, Medea, is a very talented sorceress. She's offered to make Peleus young again in exchange for our freedom. But you know, spells and enchantments of this kind are often unpredictable. They can easily go awry. Perhaps even kill someone. I see. What do you want? Well, it's rather messy business cutting someone into pieces, and given your unique talents, I thought you might like to do the honors. In exchange, you let my wife and I leave Iolcus in peace. Why should I trust you? Because I want him dead more than I want the crown. That night, one of Jason's men snuck into the dungeon. When he left, he had a message from the hero that the Argonauts quietly spread throughout the city. Jason, the rightful king of Iolcus, was about to ascend the throne. As soon as Peleus was dead, he wanted as much support behind him as possible. The next morning, Medea presented her enchantment to King Peleus. In the center of the throne room stood an altar, a cauldron, and an assortment of herbs, just as Medea requested. King Peleus smiled smugly as she and Jason entered. To his right was Prince Acastus, looking just as pleased. Draped across Peleus' throne was the Golden Fleece. Today's the day. I've hardly been able to sleep thinking about the things I'll do with my new youth. The kingdoms I'll conquer, the maidens I'll bed. Now, my little dark-eyed witch, let me see what you're capable of. Happily. However, it seems I still need a ram. And a dagger. Of course. Our shepherd selected the perfect candidate. 
Peleus clapped his hands, and a shepherd led in the most decrepit, frail old ram Medea had ever seen. It sniffed and looked up at her with ancient, glassy eyes. Medea suddenly realized that the poor creature was blind. And the dagger? I need a dagger. I've brought one of my own. It's from my personal collection. With a smile, Acastus handed Medea a curved, very sharp-looking dagger. She studied its blade for a moment, then stepped toward the goat. She stroked its ears lovingly, then placed a firm but careful grip on its neck. Sorry, friend. You'll thank me later. She slit the animal's throat with a quick, clean motion. It let out a gasping bleat and collapsed, spraying blood across the white marble floor. Medea watched the goat until it stopped quivering. Then she got to work carving its body to pieces. Jason grimaced and King Peleus flinched as Medea sliced away, blood splattering across her face. Acastus grinned. When the ram had been adequately dismembered, Medea took the bloodied chunks of flesh and dropped them into the cauldron, followed by the herbs. She made a show of chanting nonsense for dramatic effect. Oh, Hecate, hear my truth. If I be a worthy witch, restore this ram's youth. The cauldron burst into green fire. Jason jumped back, and King Peleus yelped. Then from the flames leapt out a young ram. It clattered to the floor in a flurry of emerald-colored embers. As the flame went out, Peleus, Acastus, and even Jason stood staring at Medea, mouths agape. She pepped the ram's fresh white coat, and Peleus began to clap. That was remarkable. I've never seen such magic. For mortal men, does the enchantment require all the, um, slaughter? I'm afraid so. To reinvigorate the body, it must first be broken down. But as you can see, it's quite effective. Uh, father, if you don't trust Jason or his barbarian wife, I'm happy to oversee the ritual. In fact, I'll wield the knife myself. As you know, I'm deft with a blade. Acastus smiled. King Peleus's eyes shifted from his son to Jason, then to Medea. I suppose every king must make certain sacrifices. Wonderful! Then let's get started, shall we? Medea, please secure the doors. Medea did as he said, then handed the still bloody dagger to Acastus. The prince loomed over Peleus on his throne, a deranged glint in his eye. Wait, wait! Why do we need to lock the doors? You needn't worry about that, father. Now hold still. This is going to be particularly painful. Uh, uh, ah! 
Acastus plunged the blade into Peleus's chest, and though Jason pulled her away from the brutal scene, Medea looked on with twisted fascination as Acastus stabbed his father again and again and again. When he was finished, everyone, Acastus, Medea, Jason, and even the ram, was drenched in the king's blood. Well, what's done is done. I guess we'd better... Before Jason could say another word, Acastus dropped the dagger to the floor and wailed in terror. Guards! Guards, help! The king is dead! Medea and Jason froze in confusion when the palace guards stormed the secured doors and flooded into the throne room. This barbarian witch of Colchis has murdered my father! You snake! Medea, we have to go! Now! The newlyweds only managed a few steps before the guards seized them and dragged them back to a smiling Acastus. Did you not think I'd find out about your plan? My spies informed me that there was word spreading through the city. The great hero Jason was about to reclaim the throne. The rightful heir to Iolcus has returned. I am the rightful heir, Acastus. You know that! Perhaps, but look around. I don't see your followers anywhere. You know why? Because nobody cares. You are no one, Jason. Just an outcast married to a savage who sailed across the world with nothing to show for it but a piece of wool. Acastus thrust the golden fleece into Jason's chest. I'll let you keep it as a reminder of your failures. You can do whatever you want, Acastus. Whip me. Imprison me, burn me alive. But whatever you do, I will still be the rightful king of Iolcus. I appreciate the invitation, Jason. Truly, I could easily torture you and your barbarian woman. In fact, I'd enjoy that very much. But I'm king now, and unlike my father, I intend to keep my promises. So I'll do you another kindness. You may have your freedom, but not your home. You will live as exiles, and you will never return to Iolcus again. Medea stared at Acastus in disbelief, but it was one word out of his mouth that twisted her gut and rang in her ears. Exiles. Circe's prophecy was coming true, and perhaps this was just the beginning. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. Join us as Medea and Jason find refuge in a new kingdom and learn how their love story turns into a tragedy. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every Wednesday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. We'll be back next week with the conclusion to this epic story. 
Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythology was written by Alex Garland, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Ellie Schiff, Julian Smith, and Jen Wong. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson.